It's easy to see that football is on your mind. <clears throat> and uh, actually, I, I haven't been watching football for years, but a couple weeks ago, we happened to watch one playoff game, and then we couldn't let it go. The playoff games, I watched another and then another. It's like, are they always this good? It's like, whoa, what have I been missing? It's just been amazingly close, and these huge come-from-behind uh, tensions just taking place. So I have a playoff story to tell you. But you'll have to give me some grace. It's not going to be football. <laughs> it's going to be women's softball. Now, it's a 2008 playoff game in women's softball that had an amazing story that I read about that kind of fits a little bit with what we're going to be talking about today. So indulge me a little bit as I uh, attempt to recall some of the details that I read about. It was between uh, the West... West Oregon, no, West Oregon Wolves and the Central uh, Washington University women's softball team, 2008. And it was the playoffs, and so that means that if you lose, you go home. If you win, you keep going on. And so it was a, a tense game, and this story revolves around one key player, Sarah Tukolsky, and Sarah Tukolsky wasn't like a lot of the other players on her team because uh, the Oregon team was just loaded with incredible uh, batters, with high batting averages and just strength in the batting team. She didn't play first string because her batting average was 153, and she had never hit a home run, and she didn't expect to play in this game much, but her offense was pretty good, and so she was placed in right field to take that position. But lo and behold, now, because of that placement, she finds herself in the batter's box. They're behind. There's two people on base, and she's got the bat in her hand, and the game is really riding on whether she does well or not. Pressure situation for her, and... She does it. A curveball comes her way really fast. She knocks it over the left field fence. It goes over the fence. She's over the moon as she's running toward first base and so excited. And she ran around first base and then her coaches, stop, stop, you missed first base. So she came to a quick stop and turned around and something popped. She went right down to the ground. It was in her knee. She dragged herself to first base and she's already in tears. This is just excruciating pain. And she looks up to her coach and says, what do I do? And he had no idea what she should do. And the umpire was kind of unsure what to do at that point. She had not completed running around the bases. Everybody else had. And she's there, what do I do? Now, at that moment, what would you do? The umpires begin to huddle together to figure out what to do. They know the rules. Her teammates can't assist her and help her around the bases or she would be out. So we're going to pause the story right here. I'm going to finish it at the end. <laughs> and you'll understand why I told that story. Now, um, we have a lot in common with Sarah Tukolsky. You and I have... Uh, really, something inside of us popped, and we fell, not in baseball, but in life. What probably broke inside is something morally, 
something honestly, something in our integrity, something along the way that caused us to really, we're busy trying to drag ourselves to safety, to a home base or somewhere to get out of the mess that we're in because we messed up. Something inside caused us to mess up. And this, there's this insurmountable gap between where we find ourselves and where we would like to be, and it's even larger still where we are and where God wants us to be. And we as a church, that is kind of what we're about. We're trying to help people make their way from wherever they are to where God wants us to be. All of us, in looking at that gap, we recognize that with what's broken inside of us and what has popped and what is messed up inside of us, we really don't have what it takes to make it all the way home. And so we're a lot like Sarah Tucholsky in that story. So I want to begin with kind of a a summary statement that helps uh, bring our series to a conclusion today, uh, to lead us into that conclusion. And here's a quote on the screen. God's promises are how how you take steps through that seemingly insurmountable gap. How you build a promising life is to receive God's promises, rejoice in them, Remember them, and that covers what we've been through for the last three weeks, and today we're looking at, and rehearse them. So that's a little bit of summary, and it's also a little bit of helping point us in the direction that we're going to go together today as we're considering the value of rehearsing God's promises. It's all about, really, how to make it around the basis, how to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. And it's not going to be by dragging ourselves because it's just like Sarah. She could not bear any weight on her leg. So I'm going to begin with a promise that shows up in many different places with many different words and angles. And it's a promise that's fundamental and foundational for our faith. It's also a promise that's counterintuitive. It's a promise that something inside of us actually resists. Sounds interesting that we'd resist this promise, but something inside of us often tends to resist this promise. And it's a promise that the world is contradicting constantly contradicting this promise with a barrage of messages coming our direction over and over again. Now, whatever this promise is that I'm about to tell you, I'm guessing that you're guessing wrong what this promise is going to be. So, what I'm going to do is look at this fundamental and foundational promise, look at it with three quick looks, three different ways of saying it, from three short verses. We're going to begin with James chapter 4, verse 6. God gives grace to the humble. There's a promise there. Let's move to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's a promise here. And then we're going to move to Matthew 23, 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
I don't know if you were real quick on this, but there's two promises here. There are two promises here. Now, let's take a look at the last word in this verse, the word exalted. What does that mean? When it says, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's a promise here. What does that mean? What well, means that God will lift you up? That God will promote you? That God will raise you up? Now, ultimately, this promise is about how followers of Jesus Christ will be raised up regardless of where you're at in the circumstances of this world. He'll raise you up to heaven. He will exalt you to the place on Christ's merits because you are his, and he's going to take you to heaven. But what I'd like to say is that God can, when he sees fit, raise you up, promote you, and lift you up here now, even before we are going to be raised up in heaven through these promises. Now, it's not promised that in every uh, beat-down low place that you ever will be that he's going to immediately raise you up. If that were the case, Jesus would have never been crucified, right? Um, but it often takes place that when you will apply some of these principles, you'll sense the lifting up, sense the raising up, sense what God is doing, where he literally lifts you right out of the turmoil feeling, the stress feeling, and immediately into peace, where he gives you a joy that literally you can't quite account for other than you're being lifted up and you're being promoted past some things that ought not to maybe take place in the natural, but God is doing it because you have humbled yourself, you have depended upon him, you're turning away from doing it your way to exalt yourself, to press harder, to make it happen your way, and God is the one that does the raising up and the promoting. So, if you're like me, we're all into it. Oh, yeah, raise me up. Oh, yeah, help me out of this mess that I'm in. Oh, yeah, get me out of this jam. Help me out of this depression. Help me out of this place where it's just way too big for me. Oh, Lord, if that's you, then we've got to figure out who ta to tap into this promise and rehearse the pieces of it that are our side and rehearse the pieces of it that are God's side, and that will help us. So, if you want that, let's begin. Point number one. Rehearsing a promised outcome will shape you. Rehearsing a promised outcome will shape you. Now, if you're walking along a path, it's always wise to occasionally take your eyes off your feet and off the path right in front of you and look up, <laughs> right? Always wise in walking on a path, but metaphorically speaking, in your walk with Jesus, you also need to look up. That's part of what walking with Jesus is about and looking ahead to where he's taking you. And as you're looking at the path that you're on and you're looking up and you see where it's going, warning. If you think it's a great path because you've done so great, if you think it's a great path because you're doing this thing and you're doing it just right and of course it's a great path, warning, just that attitude, is that humbling yourself before God? Warning, that attitude usually means that path that you think you're on is heading in a place that you don't think it's going. 
That path of self-made life where I'm exalting myself as long as I do it right, God has to honor me because I've got this and I'm doing it right, is heading towards a cliff. It's literally heading towards a swamp because he has to deal with something inside of you to work on the humility side. Well, we need to talk about that. That cliff swamp thing is at the end of the path that is the I do what I want path. If you want to describe the narrow path that leads to heaven, and which, which is Jesus' words, and con- contrast it with the broad path that leads to destruction, the broad path is the I do what I want path. And I tell you what, right now, it's the largest temptation in the world all across the nation and maybe the globe, but I can speak for our nation, because of our culture and because of our involvement in our culture, that believers are tempted to do whatever they want, ask for forgiveness later, lean on God's grace, and we're good. God will exalt me. And I'm telling you, you're on a dangerous path when you're on I do whatever I want path. Because that's not a path of I humble myself and say yes to Jesus. It's I exalt myself and say yes to me. I do whatever I want. So warning, warning, cliff ahead, broad path destruction, swamp going to swallow you. And so what do we do about that? Let's focus again. Matthew 23, 12, the last part there, for those who, or first part, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This is a path of self-exaltation, the path of pride. Back to James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, (laughs) other translations, God opposes the proud. Okay, we started off with teams and opposition and, you know, some of this stuff that is great for playoffs, but, uh, I really am not interested in playing off with God and having him resist me and him be my opponent. Okay, if there's any opponent I don't want to have, it's God as my opponent. Anybody get that? All right, we're going to lose. So if you want to lose, just keep going the I want, I'm going to do what I want path and keep going the path where you don't humble yourself before God. You don't take the path of Jesus where not my will but your will be done, which is Jesus' path. You're not praying the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're on the life, my kingdom come, my will be done. I want to do what I want path and I want you to forgive me and take me to heaven path. And that's kind of the message that is out there and it's a lie that we have to be careful about. So let's take a look at this promise because we kind of want to resist it because we don't want to be weak. We don't want to humble ourselves. We want to be strong like America says, climb up to the top and become an achiever and do all this stuff. And yet Jesus says, if you want to achieve in my kingdom, you say no to you and yes to me. So let's talk this through. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 11, 31 through 32, which reads... If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So if we properly judge ourselves, we would humble ourselves. Now, we just spent some time taking communion together. 
I'm reading from a passage that is actually located within the context of instructing us on what we're supposed to do when we're taking communion. We're supposed to, before we take communion, judge ourselves. And we're supposed to humble ourselves before God so that he doesn't have to judge us and humble us. Humbling yourself is completely different than being humbled by God. If there's a choice that you need to make, you need to make the choice, humble yourself first before God has to humble you, okay? And so this is within the communion context, but it's far larger than just the communion context. When God has to humble you, it is always more difficult and painful than when we humble ourselves. Why would God make it difficult? Why would God want to give us pain? Why would God want to humble us? Doesn't he love us? Yes. It's precisely because he loves us. We just read in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. It's because he loves us that he's willing to throw something in our direction to humble us to discipline us, to cause us to have to change our outlook and our attitude and shift the direction of our path. And it might be a 180 shift where we're going opposite. I do what I want. He says, turn from my do what I want. Not my will, but your will is the path of exaltation. And sometimes we won't do it without some pain. And God is willing to save us from the destruction of the broad road. Now, why is he doing this? Because our hearts have become hard. Anytime there is the resistance to God's judgment and assessment of where we're at, our hearts have become hard. Anytime we're not in the process of on a regular habit of rehearsing this promise, that God gives grace to the humble, if we're not rehearsing that promise, our heart becomes harder and we are on an independent, pride-filled, self-exalting path. So we need to rehearse this promise that God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud if we want to get off this destructive thing. So let me just put it simply When your heart is hard, it's like a a nut that is a hard nut to crack, okay? And since it's so hard to crack, he has to use a bigger hammer to crack that nut to get that heart to become soft before him. You have forced his hand if you are in that position where you don't judge yourself. When you judge yourself, you can be softer with yourself and go, ooh, I'm not matching up with this thing that God has taught me. Let me humble myself before you, God. I was wrong when. I admit that you are right. I am on the wrong path. All of that comes from spending time in the promises of God and in the word of God and trusting what he says is actually good for you rather than trusting that whatever I want is what's good for me. And yet, we're right there in the middle of this battle for our hearts, this battle for the way we think, this battle of what is a good life. Let me just say, 
Following Jesus is the best life you can choose, period. But a lot of people have trouble believing it because of what it is they're choosing. It makes me happy. Yeah, for a moment. But it doesn't grow in this joy that you can have walking with Jesus. So we got to train ourselves and rehearse these promises to begin to trust. Now, it's not just a communion thing. So I've included as a memory cue, memory cues are the things that you stick in a habit that you already have so that you habit stack. So I have a habit that I already pray daily. And in my pray daily habit, I have these memory cues to keep my prayer on track. One of my memory cues is use the word humble. Okay? So if that works for you, every time you pray, and first you've got to develop that habit, every time you pray, remember that in your process of praying, use the word humble. I usually start pretty early on using the word humble. God, I humble myself before you. You are almighty. I'm really small. You have a mind that's put all of this together. My mind can't even hold anything together very well. You are awesome. I'm not so much. And... I am immoral compared to your purity and goodness and beauty. So I use the word humble to get myself an appropriate space aimed at God so that he has room to move in my life without having to hurt me. I kind of like not being hurt, okay? And if I just harden myself, he's got to use a bigger hammer to get at my heart. So, You have a choice. You can either keep letting sin shape you or you can let God shape you. And even if you turn to God to shape you, you have ongoing choices. And these ongoing choices, there's the easy way and the hard way. If you humble yourself, instead of uh, being disciplined by him and humiliated, it's much easier to humble yourself. Okay? So we're going to shift gears now. Um, and we're going to move to point number two. There's just a little shift to kind of give you some equipment to kind of work on this a little bit. Point number two is rehearsing is worth the investment. So as we're talking about this, uh, first we talk about rehearsing a promised outcome will shape you, and then we're talking about rehearsing is worth the investment. We're going to start with Psalm 119, 148. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promises. I'm going to just take this at simple face value and say, rehearsing a promise is worth the loss of sleep. Rehearsing a promise is worth the loss of sleep. We are so cozy and comfortable with self, aren't we? We just want to do what's easy. We want to do me. We want to do what's easy and best for me. And we've forgotten that Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And um, some of us never want to deny ourselves. We just always want to do what I want to do. And so meditating on God's promises, really good thing. It's an investment, and it's worth even loss of sleep. That kind of touched me. When are you going to work on it? How are you going to make time? What are you willing to set aside so that you make some rehearsal time? Okay? 
Psalm 119.11 reads, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A lot of us um, think that memorizing God's scripture, storing it up in our heart is hard. I agree. It is hard. But let me tell you something harder. Not storing it up. It's way more harder on your life than storing it up. Bible study is hard, but not doing Bible study is harder still. Not being familiar with what God says, you're without tools in the middle of a battle. And you have no clue how to win the battle. So you've got to figure out how you're going to invest in your future because it's way harder to not store up God's word in your heart. Why? Because you will sin and keep sinning against God. A lot of us think, well, yeah, but that's what Christ is there for. All you got to do is confess your sin and be forgiven. It's true. He's faithful to your commitment to Christ and what he did on the cross. He will forgive you. But you know what you miss out on? You miss out on all the joy of not sinning. Your life never gets as bright as a life that's brighter and brighter and brighter as you're learning by rehearsing God's word and God's promises and you have the tools in your life to literally sin less and enjoy life more. So many Christians I know are miserable. They're even more miserable than non-Christians. Non-Christians have fun without guilt. But Christians are attempting to have fun and they're always guilty and depressed and they're messed up and everything's all messed up and they just keep asking God for forgiveness and their light bulb is not bright. It's by rehearsing and storing up God's word in your life that you literally learn how to sin less and enjoy life more. It's really, really important. Imagine the day in your future when you no longer struggle with the same sin pattern, temptation you're in right now. That's what God is after. That you'll sin less. That you get past this one that still has you. And that you no longer are even tempted by this one that still has you. I hope you can look over the past and you can look at how you have succeeded over that one and that one and that one. But I know a lot of Christians, they don't have a track record of success. They just have a track record of forgiveness. And they do not live a life that is shining for Jesus. They're actually kind of an embarrassment to the kingdom. And I'm not pointing fingers. It's like, your life is not really pointing to the life of Jesus. You don't say, follow me as I follow Jesus. You say, don't follow me. I'm just not doing so good. Follow somebody else. Are you following Jesus if you can't say, follow me? So imagine a future where those same temptations are gone. You're happier and closer to God, fully sensing that he's carrying you by his strength and you know how to tap into his strength to be carried. That is when we can now take our finger off the pause button and carry out the rest of the story with Sarah Tukolsky. So the umpires, remember the umpires were huddled up. Uh, Sarah, as it turns out, had... uh, 
popped her ACL. She can't put any weight on her knee. And she is, is miserable. She's holding on to one leg. Tears are streaming down her eyes. She's got one hand on first base, doesn't know what to do. And the umpires are talking, trying to discuss what, how, do they, how do they bring this to a resolve here. And the first baseman, her name was Mallory Holtman. She says, excuse me, um, what if I were to help her? And the umpire says, why would you want to do that? Because if she helps her, the home run counts. Those scores count. They lose. Why would you want to do that? And before, she didn't even answer. Before she answers, another umpire said, do it. Do it. So Mary, uh, Mallory Holtman uh, signals to the shortstop and discusses what they want to do. Shortstop totally agrees. And they ask Sarah Tokolsky, would it be okay if we carry you around the bases? She's just crying down her eyes. She says, yes, thank you, thank you. The two of them bend over, put one arm under one leg, one arm in the back, and they literally lift her up and walk her around the bases. They come to second base, and they lower her down and touch the foot at second base, and then walk around the next base. By the time they get to third base, the whole audience is standing. The whole audience is cheering, both sides. And then Sarah's teammates are all gathering at home plate, and she comes in being carried by the opponents, as if she's the homecoming queen. <laughs> and she's just smiling and everybody's just embracing. Both teams are erupting in a beautiful thing that just took place. And the reason I think that playoff story is so powerful is it's the story of Jesus who carried us and closed an insurmountable gap. We could never make it to heaven on our own power. We can't even make it to second base on our home power. We can't make it the next step on our own power. We're not growing in our faith on our own power. It's by grace when we humble ourselves before Jesus that he exalts us. This is how it works. The moment you think you're doing it and you've got this and you're growing, you have become a son of the devil. That's what he called the Pharisees. You are children of the devil. You think you've got this by rising up by pride. The only way that we've got this is by humbling ourselves and Jesus is exalted. So you have a choice to continue doing it your way or deciding to say yes to Jesus, who is the way. When you say yes to Jesus, God will gladly pick you up carry you all the way home because this honors his son Jesus who gave his life for you. He also gave us this task to be the body of Christ to help somebody else and literally help pick them up and give grace even to our opponents. Would you let us help you? Would you pray with me? Father God, we have been trained by our world rather well to climb, to aspire, to ascend into greatness. But Jesus showed us another path from the pinnacle of greatness. He descended into service. 
And by living a life that was not my will, but your will be done, continued to serve even to the point of death, a sacrifice for us that was victorious, and then set us on that path, a path of greatness by dissent, greatness by humility, greatness by trusting you, greatness by always asking you for your power and your spirit to help us live the life of faith, depending upon you. God, help us today, each, each of us, wherever we are, to take a step of faith, a fundamental step downward from self, upward towards you. Help us to say no to something today and yes to you in some way today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If there's something you need to say no to, uh, we have a prayer team over here. Be happy to help. And it would be a humbling thing, but a very good thing to go and say, I need help. I need Jesus' help. I would like to be carried. Let somebody help carry you today. I hope to see you next week for a whole new series. We'll be looking into the character of God so that we can shape our characters. God bless you.